Hey, sports fans and savages, welcome to Greg Method Show. This is Greg, your host, here in Phoenix, Arizona. It's beautiful out. We paid the price. The heat is starting to go away, and it's just lovely. Oh, wait a minute. I shouldn't say that out loud. Some of you fuckers from California will maybe move here. <laughs> We've been doing a lot of politics this season just because I'm kind of into politics. It's been very interesting. We've done uh, some shows on cryptocurrency gold exchange we're going to be doing i'm going to buy some gold at a gold place uh next week we're going to do a show from there so you guys kind of see that process what that's like for those of you who've always wanted to go to a gold place and buy some gold we're going to kind of show you how it works and show you what you know tell you what a spot price is and kind of how that works it'd be kind of fun um today we're going to talk to actually one of our customers from my day job my day job's running a knife company and this is one of our customers that's out of South Carolina. Did I could say that right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I said it right. I wasn't sure if I was accurate. <laughs> They're out of South Carolina, and uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna chat a little bit about the knife business. So, for those of you guys who are into knives, we're gonna talk about knives. We're gonna talk about political correctness. We're gonna talk about business relationships and stuff like that. So, if you're in uh, Tucumcari or you're in Kalamazoo. Uh, hang out with us and uh, have a little chat about American small business interaction and how politics have affected us over the last few years. And we're getting ready to enter a weird time in America, I think. Uh, and I'm not like a sky is falling kind of guy. And when it gets shitty, and I think it's getting ready to get shitty, is usually when I start gathering up and I grow. And then and then when it starts to boom again, everybody says, oh, my God, how, how, how are you so ready? And I was like, because I was getting ready. That's what happens. So there's a pulse to life. And there's a pulse to business. There's a pulse to the seasons. And the, there's a pulse to our stupidity. Yeah. Smart for a while, dumb for a while. Smart for a while, dumb for a while. We're in a real dumb period right now. I think it's like an extended dumb period. And... On the other side of that is some smartness. And I'm getting ready for the smartness. And while the dumbness is here and our economy is going to contract and our government's going to make bad decisions and they're going to poop their pants and all the stuff they do in the White House these days, we're going to make better decisions and be prepared because we kind of know what's going on. That's the nice thing about the elevator of uh, the economic elevator of capitalism. There is advancement to be made whether the elevator is going up or going down. There are. When the elevator's going down, you advance um, your infrastructure, you advance your team, you advance, you know, when the economy gets bad, oddly enough, employees uh, stick around more. It's easier to find employees. You may be a chance to get deeper training with them. You get everything ready for when the times turn good. And when times turn good, you're kind of like really positioned and then you make the most. It's like you've tuned your engine while there was, or you, you fix your sails while there's no wind. And when the wind comes, your sails are all good. So that's kind of what I do when the elevator's going down. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. So we're going to welcome Dean and Jennifer Brewster from Hellacious Firearms in South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Welcome to the show. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Much love from the Peter Gallery. <laughs> okay, you guys, would you all please be quiet? 
<laughs> I love that I can hit a, hit a button and they all just shush up together. Yep. So uh, this is your is this is your first time to the factory, right? It is. Yep. All right. And why are you guys out here in Arizona? So we had some other business to conduct. So we figured while we were out here, we'd stop by and see the factory and see you and take the tour and learn more about you know how things work here. It's been great. Well, are you able to tell us what else you were doing here in Arizona? I actually was presenting at an executive conference on uh, you know how to innovate. Uh, when you talk about slow and you know big times, or we were talking about how innovation uh, actually happens in corporations, right? Where you know you need people in the in the organization that can actually innovate, rather than you know the company thinking they innovate. It's all about people, right? So we were talking about you know how that innovation cycle works, right? So when you take something from you know an idea, uh, you ideate, you figure out how it's going to either save the you know the customer money or you know increase revenue or drive costs out of the business. And how that cycle works, right? So, you know, like you said, I think what's important around, you know, innovation is really about taking the idea and and fostering it, right? Like making people think that they're and believe that their innovation, you know, that idea is good. And, you know, some are good and some are bad, right? You know, but I think it's all about how do you get people to to provide those ideas and then take those ideas and shepherd them to the to to a final product. So <laughs> you have a uh, a, a gun and knife store in South yeah. Carolina. Yeah. What's the, what's the, is this a conference or a business it a, group? Or? It was, a, it was a conference. Yeah. What, what? Um, it was a, it was essentially a conference for, uh, manufacturers that make, uh, equipment for large telecom providers. Oh. Um, so how did they, how did they invite a gun store owner? <laughs> uh, well, uh, a little <clears throat> bit of about my history of, uh, I've been uh, an executive in the telecom industry for about 25 years. Okay. So, um, do you still do that on the side? Um, you know, I think it's the relationships that I've made over the years, you know, people kind of come to me for, you know, how to transform it, you know, how to essentially innovate or take an organization and transform it into something that's you know, either productive or, you know, more productive or more efficient. So you've like had that. a real job before, it sounds like. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When did you get into the gun and knife gig? About eight years ago. Uh, we actually started out with knives, right? So interesting uh, fact about me is uh, I used to get into the knife forums around, you know, where guys were selling knives that the public would never really see, right? So um they started to really come to me to kind of find knives and broker deals for them uh and they finally said you know you should really get a knife shop going because you have all the connections and you know what you're talking about so um we started the knife store about uh eight years ago um it was a little tiny you know 600 square foot space uh and then we did that for about a year uh and that was really successful so we moved to a bigger location and then we got into firearms uh so we do firearms we do nfa items so we do you know suppressors and um, short barreled rifles and all that good stuff. So the, the gun business has been great because it's, you know, I was telling Jeff, right. It's a, I think we can complement uh, the knives that we carry from you and pair them with guns. So a lot of people that come in and buy, you know, cause we carry, I would say, I would call it your mid to high tier firearms. Uh, and then we start to pair those with the knives. So people that come in, you know, cool. we try to give them both ways. And Jennifer, tell me about your role in the organ in the, in, in this whole, uh, menagerie of things you guys do. So he's more strategy, I'm more logistics. So he has the ideas and I execute on them. And uh, that's that's similar with that's similar in a lot of couples. Somebody's mm -hmm. coming up with an idea and then somebody swoops in and support. How is it working together? I know it didn't work for Amy and me. So far, so good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's what's interesting, right, is I think, 
you got to stay in your lane, right? You got to keep, you know, you have to understand what you're good at and focus on that. And then, you know, have trust that the other person has, has the, the other half of the ball, right? I think it's, you got to have that balance and, and, you know, stick to your lane. Do, uh, do either of you ever have to turn to the other person and say, hey, you can't do that. This, look what it's going to happen. You can't do that. Almost every day. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it, it, you know, we, I have the tendency to say, you know, let's, let's not now go down this direction because I think that's where it's going to go. Uh, and you know, when you're talking about spending large amounts of money to do that, you know, sometimes you need that balance, right? And, yeah. You know, that's, I think that's where she tempers, you know, kind of what my ideas are to make sure that we're, we're doing it in the smartest way possible. Cool. Did she ever, do you ever get feedback from her and go, no, okay, we're not going to do that. Does that happen sometimes? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, there's, there's, you know, when you feel passionate enough about something, right? You, you know, you, you no, no reward without risk, right? So, I think it's, you know, sometimes, you know, we, I say, let's go, we're doing it anyway, and sometimes she says, you know, same thing, you know, no, we're not going to do that anyway. So, but yeah, I think it's a balance again of of doing that. Talk to me about, hey, do me a favor, just take that mic and move it over a little bit. If you talk to the side of it, I get the, okay. There you oh, go. That's better. There you go. So, um, tell me a little bit about the knife brands you carry in your store. Obviously, you carry Med for Knife and Tool. Uh -huh. um, yeah. What else do you carry? So we, we carry, we're, we only carry American made knives, right? And we're very selective about who we carry in the shop. There is one uh, brand that we carry, Victorinox, right? Which is Swiss made, but you know, we, we really believe in that company and how they run it and it's family owned and you know, they, they can never sell the company, but we carry you. Uh, we carry Jason Clark Customs. Uh, he's out of Florida. Uh, we carry Dave Curtis. Um, we carry Benchmade for our kind of our, our entry level uh, knives. We carry um, Protec. Uh, from an automatic perspective, uh, and Spartan Blades out of North Carolina. Yeah, okay. And cool. then we carry William Henry, too, for the for the people that are looking for that top-tier stuff. Okay, cool. Kind of ju jewelry uh, collector knife. Yeah, uh -huh. like limited edition type stuff with, like, special materials and, you know, limited runs and just, you know, jewels and the pivot and the, you know, and yeah, thumb, yeah. thumb lock, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, how, um, how long have you been carrying our stuff now? About four years. And how do you feel like uh, the strength of our brand is currently compared, uh, like, how does it track over the last four years? Is it like that? Is it like this? Is it moving up slowly? Is it kind of trailing off? Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I think it's actually doing really well for us, right? So there's, there's, we're lucky enough not to have any other dealers. The closest to other Medford dealer for us is in Tennessee, right? So I think we've captured that, you know, Charlotte, you know, uh, Spartanburg type of, you know, within a, probably a two hour radius of where we're at. Um, you know, we have been investing pretty heavily in you guys. Um, we just put a, a huge, a large order in, right? And so we're trying to up our game. We typically have somewhere between, I would say, 15 and 25 knives in stock at any one time. Um, you know, I think for us, what what kind of sets us apart, right? As you know, you know, the knife business, there's the, the deal, the amount of people selling knives is kind of saturated, right? And the second, you know, secondary market's pretty full too. So I think what separates us is, you know, kind of our, our service. You know, we've put a lot of time and effort into investing and learning you. You know, we've been through your, your university, right? Mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, we kind of take the time with the customers and explain how they're made, you know, what they're made of, why the tolerances are as good as they are. Um, you know, the fact that you, you know, you, you have a hand in all of it, right? So I think, you know, we use that uh, to kind of set your brand apart within the store, and I think we do a really nice job with selling your stuff. How how what did you think of the tour? I think it was great. I mean, it was you know we we saw kind of the old mm -hmm. factory, and it was nice to see the new factory. 
Uh, it was cool to see the ASK stuff, right? Um, the mm -hmm. fact that you're making this stuff here now, but I think, you know, the technology that you guys have out here is pretty impressive. Um, and, you know, I can kind of see now why the knives are of the quality that they are, just seeing the, the equipment and how the people work out there. It's bananas. Like people don't, I have my, you know, most of my friends, a lot of my friends are in like aviation manufacturing yeah and they're like god what do you do? They, they don't realize it after they get this like man what you guys do is crazy yeah you know i'm like i, I don't know i think making that fuel control unit for a space program is pretty neat they're like oh they, the, what you do is not that's nuts what you do yeah it's fun because as manufacturing goes we make a top to bottom integrated product we make the whole thing yep like raw materials come in the back and then boxed up finished product go out the side you know it's yeah. It's kind of it. That's very rewarding in the uh, in the world of commerce. That's probably the sexiest conversion of raw material into a final right, thing. Right, that right. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. you know, if you just make a component, it's like components go out in boxes. You know, yeah, you make a part of a jet. You're like, yeah, I make this widget that goes in an engine. Yeah, it's not the same kind of gratifying. To see it all done with a flag on the side of it. Yeah. in a box all headed off to a store You're like oh sweet and the only thing more gratifying than that is walking into a store and looking over and going oh there's a bunch of my stuff in you yeah. know? like i like that it's fun for me it's like yeah. it's like seeing your kids on tv you know you're like oh look at that kid throwing a touchdown you know i was yeah. very excited when we came in and Lindsay was wearing our t-shirt <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah she's great um do you guys mostly interact with Lindsay? Uh -huh. yep yeah she's awesome so um, I guess that brings me, uh, you know, I have, I'm, I always say this, I am very polarizing if you pick 100 people and they hear me talk um, about it. A third are going to love me, a third are going to want to nail me to a cross, and a third of them are just not quite sure. Yeah. I'm a little polarizing. And it seems like, and, and I'm the only company owner I've ever seen who hangs it out the way I do. I don't know anybody else who quite does this. Yeah. Uh, certainly in the durable hard goods sector, usually they just keep their heads down and keep working. Um, but I've felt compelled, you know, the political correctness that I saw really come out of the 90s, which I thought was a, you know, intellectual affectation, has snowballed into a national neuroses and uh some sort of weird complex we have as americans where we feel like we need to live up to europeans i think europe sucks i think europeans mostly suck um i i like going to europe i like drinking the beer i think the food's mediocre yeah. i think they're entrenched in tradition and modernity and looking forward is what we're really good at we are the new world yeah. i think what we do is awesome I, I love the castles and I love the history and the rest. They can just fuck off. Yeah. Um, they're stupid rules. They're commerce rules. They're government up. You know, they've got, it is a government by the government for the government of the government. And, yeah. uh, you know, fuck that whole continent. Now, for those of you who hang out with me that I go drinking with in Europe, I love visiting your place and I love it. And then they all tell me, you know, they, they get a couple of drinks and they're like, no, but if it gets bad enough, Craig, we come to America because we know it's wonderful there. Yeah. Like they still all say that under their breath, even if they're European snobs. So I have created a, a kind of a monster on the internet, right? There's a monster of people who hate my guts. Yeah. How does that affect your business? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it does, right? I think the, the kind of folks that shop with us, you know, um, they're of the same, I would call it political mindset, you know, that we all are, right? Um, you know, they enjoy being Americans. They, they, you know, fight for the cause, you know, they, you know, Second Amendment rights, right? The government's trying to take his, take our rights away, right? But I think the people that come in and shop for our stuff really kind of understand your positioning, right? And where you're coming from and, and your political views and it seems to resonate with them. So yeah, I think it's good for us. You know, it's weird. Uh, you know, this stuff's boring. Knives are, they're kind of boring. I mean, unless you're like a total knife, most people are not total knife nerds. Yeah. I'm not even a total knife nerd. I just like making stuff. There are like, I run into guys who are, they're not in the knife business who know more about knives. They know way more about knives than I do. Yeah. Not actually making them or the processes, but man, they know every little name of every little thing. Yeah. Uh, they're, they know every brand, they know what everybody's making. I, I you know, I'm not, I, I just kind of st stick to what I do and I, I figure, uh, I just want to make cool stuff. Yeah. I, and I don't, I try not to look at anybody else's cause it, the things that we see in, inform us as a, if you're a designer, you don't want to be informed by the people's stuff. Right. Or it all starts to look the same. Yeah. Right. And I know like if I'm at a show, you know, our stuff kind of sticks out. It's got a unique look. It's because I don't look at everybody else's stuff. I do my own thing. Right. I was just curious. Um, uh, do you guys do you guys kind of hang it out there with your own perspective, or is it because you're in the gun world? Because it used to be hellacious blades. Right. Now uh -huh. it's hellacious firearms. Yep. That crowd is typically a more uh, let's just say staunchly conservative. They are more constitutionalist. They are more originalist. Yep. Plus, you're not exactly in a liberal hotbed in South Carolina. Right. Um, do you find that you guys can kind of wear your politics and worldview or your ethos, your you know view of the universe on your sleeve, and it it's good or bad for business? Yeah. You want to take that one? Uh, well, and it's really good for business, right? We we believe that you can believe what you want, right? You're coming into my shop. You, you either have an idea of what you want or you don't, and we'll help you find what you want. Politics has no place in that discussion. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think you find, you know, guys that come into the store that are looking for firearms or looking for knives. Um, they, they are of that political, like you just said, right? They're very conservative, very constitutionalist, right? And I think that we resonate with them, right? Because of the things that we carry. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, the types of work that we do within our community, it's, you know, they know that we're of that same ilk, right? So we can tend to have more open discussions with our customers because uh, of, you know, how they approach, you know, things like, you know, the Second Amendment or, you know, being, you know, in a, in a country and, and enjoying the Constitution and fighting for, you know, freedom and, and talking about those, you know, in the government that don't necessarily uh, resonate with that side of it, right? So. Yeah. I think it's good for business, actually. I, uh, you know, I I have this, uh, for a long time, I have a lot of firearms, okay? And uh, I, for a long time, when people come out here from points unknown around the country, one of the things I typically do is take people shooting. Yeah. Um, especially when I was a little more social than I am now. I'm a little more, I'm a little more, uh, I do a lot of political stuff in the evening time, so I'm not as social as I used to be. Yeah. But when I had a lot of people visiting, one of the things I do is I try to have firearms be kind of a gateway to America. And I know mm -hmm. it sounds really weird, but I love getting me like a furry 38-year-old Jewish girl who's super left and and just hates the whole idea of the Second Amendment. Yeah. 
and I love getting her and her frizzy hair out at a little gun range or with me on a private range just to shoot a little bit yeah. and see the transformation of a person. Yeah. And I know you guys have experienced that, but it's, it's something that it's too nuanced a conversation to have in a three-minute right. newscast on Fox News or NBC or yeah. whatever other pablums being spewed out there. <laughs> but when you take a little liberal and... They're liberals see the world from fear, and conservatives we don't see the world from fear. We see the the world from accountability and just yeah. kind of a different perspective, right? Yeah. And uh, th there's a tendency to be a have a fear based worldview, and I can see that with women, and it's one of the reasons I love to get them shooting, yeah. because to see them get empowered by shooting and they're usually afraid of it and their adrenaline's going and yeah. they're like shaking a little bit yeah and i i turn my voice down i get kind of my soothing voice and i slow down a little bit and i'm like hey don't be afraid of this it's not going to do anything that you don't expect it or tell it to do yeah and kind of walk somebody through that and to see them shoot at a target and all of a sudden start hitting the bullseye almost like it's a video game yeah and you see the success and then you're like all right bend your knees lean forward a little bit athletic position push your arms out I love seeing the transformation of people and yeah. and then and then go talk some politics at lunch afterwards and it's very interesting to see the transformation in people when they feel a little bit empowered. Yeah. And uh they say, Oh, you know, maybe I'll get a gun when I get home. Is there a shooting range near me? I'm like, the, my answer is always there's a shooting range near you. There is a shooting range near everyone. Yep. Yes, there is. Yeah. And and I talk to him like, hey, what's it feel like when you shoot? Like, oh, it's kind of powerful. I'm like, yes, welcome to masculinity. Yeah, masculinity is essentially about being powerful mm -hmm. in a world of danger and fear. Yep. And uh, I think firearms are these, they're talismans, and I think people don't get it. And I think we get it, and a lot of times we get it and don't know why. Right. Um, I talk to guys and go, oh, I never really thought about it that way, but you know, I, I think that's where you're coming from. Yeah. I've, my theory is I want to get every liberal I can shooting a gun as quickly as possible and, yeah. and a, in a fun and safe environment yep. and, uh, to have them become familiar because the familiar is less mysterious. The right. familiar is harder to judge Yep. and the familiar, um, I think firearms are inherently good. I yeah. don't think they're bad. Right. Yep. And, uh, I find that I just. They have wonderful. I have wonderful experiences with people taking up shooting. Yeah. Um, do you guys have that as part of what you do? Do you have lib libs come in? Um, I mean, not as there's not too many libs out in South Carolina, but yeah. do, do you have libs come in kind of like because they've been watching the news and they're a little spooked or because of the um, a riot in this city? They said, "Well, I'm going to get a firearm because the police maybe won't come to where I'm." Or, do, do you have that happen? Yeah, we actually do. So what's interesting um, for us is, you know, we're about 10 miles south of Charlotte, right? So the majority of people that come into the shop either are transplants from California or New York, um, you know, or Massachusetts or D.C., those areas where it's, you know, very difficult. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, the, the, the men come in and they're buying guns because now they have that ability, right? Uh, and their wives come in with them. Right. So it's interesting to see the interaction between the two. Right. Because, you know, the males will be like, yes, let's get one. And here's why. Right. For the reasons you just said. Right. Now that I can, I want to be able to protect my family. I want to be able to go shooting and have fun. And the, and the wives are a little more, you know, I would call it resistant. Right. Yeah. But I think. Or hesitant. Yeah. Hesitant. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So I think as as the as the, the you know, as the relationship progresses with that customer, 
to your point, um, you see that you see the perspective start to change. Um, we had a, so we do carry classes at, at the shop, right? And about a month ago, we had ten women in the class to get their their CWPs, and I, it was great, right? And they were all afraid, right? Uh, and the guy that does our classes is a Vietnam vet, so you you could see the women as they were learning, right? Um, you know what to do, how to do it. You know the the. Do laws. you guys have a firing range at your place also? We don't have a range, okay. uh, but we do classes. We okay. have uh, you know, we have a large classroom, so so you can get them all spooled up and then go to a range Correct. and finish the shooting part. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting to see, you know, to your point, you know, women make that transition to. You know, I want to have the ability to protect myself, right? Yeah. Um, and it's been it's been great to see that, especially when you have people that are transplants. You know, because the majority of people in Charlotte aren't from Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's been great to see it. I I, you know, I have found, I you know, I'm willing to talk about abortion. I'm willing to talk about firearms. I'm willing to talk about capital punishment. I'm willing to talk about defunding the police. I'm willing to talk about Black Lives Matter. I'm willing to talk about race. Yeah. And I have found. Uh, the firearms firearms culture to be transformative yeah and i think it's better therapy than almost you can pay for especially not for all neuroses that are going on with people but for the neuroses that come out of fear and uh violence and people who've been victims and maybe survivors of trauma even in their own personal life, because all of the therapy that goes on around those type of things is all trying to find self-empowerment mm -hmm. and safety in someone's soul, in the storm yeah. of the soul. They got There's stormy people who've been violated, and they're just trying to find peace. Yeah. And when you find physical safety and self-empowerment, um, it's really good therapy. Yeah. I'm not saying it's for everything, right. uh, and and done the wrong way, and it, it, and it can be done the wrong way, of course, but done gently and done smartly and done you know intelligently and and uh, done safely uh, in a very controlled environment. I find it to be one of the most transformative physical things anybody could do because there's so much taboo and fear around it for people who are not raised in the you know i'm from the hillbilly culture of america okay yep. i may be a, a third generation american but definitely hillbilly culture you know we're comfortable with violence skeptical of authority don't like the anybody bossing us around we're definitely willing to cut off our nose despite our face um definitely willing to stand up for our country and we're not yeah. trusting the folks who spent too much time in college you know yeah and uh that hillbilly culture like those two cultures that's in america right yeah and uh you got your you got your collegiate culture and your hillbilly culture right i am definitely part of the hillbilly i kind of traverse both yeah but when people get comfortable with that who haven't been a part growing up they maybe they've been city people their whole life and they're just not part of that yeah that kind of rugged individualist kind of hillbilly perspective yeah um Thomas Sowell's got some name for it. I, I, he might actually call it hillbilly culture. I can't remember if I got it from him or not. When people are not comfortable with that, they judge us from afar. And I'm not saying you guys are part of that, but you probably are. If you're gun, gun store owners in South Carolina, you're part of the hillbilly culture. Yep. Um, they judge us from afar and they don't understand us. And that would include every single news organization and every group of people on the news. Yeah. They're, they're aliens to me. Yeah. Like, they're aliens to me. I'm like, you care about who made your tie that much? 
you care about what it looks like so you look the right way you care about that how about the content of your character i'm more right. concerned about that right visceral things you know what i mean yeah. and like what do you mean you call the police <laughs> who calls the police when someone breaks in their house you know i'm like kind of cracking up to it just different yeah. looking at the universe from absolutely di different perspectives yep. i see them melt and their egg cracks when they shoot firearms and get comfortable yeah you look at the news people that you know you hear like sean hannity he does mma he does yep. jujitsu he does <laughs> firearms training it changes your perspective when you are because it's the ultimate personal accountability yeah like no i you know people say well, what makes a town safe what makes my home safe? Well, the police, you know, the laws, the this laws don't make anything safe. Right. You know, it's the repercussions, right? right? I make my my family safe because of me, not yep. because of a bunch of rules. Yeah. And uh, the personal accountability that goes around firearms is yep. is, uh, is is huge, and I think the cost of having firearms in a free society is is worth it. Yeah. Because the upside of empowered, intelligent, responsible, free yeah. men and women, the upside of that, you know, like we know there's 400 million firearms in America, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I know I've got a good chunk of them. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so the other 100 million for everybody else. Right. There's a lot of people that are, it, you know, it's the, they like to paint it as it's a bunch of bubbas with their butt cracks out wearing camouflage. Okay. And it's really not. It's a really, it's a bunch of quiet, squinty-eyed, skeptical, well-spoken, red, white, and blue type folks. Yep. And um, I think it's the backbone of the country. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you, and, and you know, we watch Hannity too, and he's he's a really great guy, right? But I think, you know, to, to the point of, back to the Second Amendment, right? The militia, right? Um, it wasn't built to... To, to, you know, do whatever they want with guns. It was really to protect themselves against the government, right? And I think, you know, what you see now is you see, you know, with the politicians we have now trying to remove that right so they can, you know, essentially enforce more rules and restrictions on us, right? So I think, you know, it's very important to your point that the more people that get guns, the more people that feel comfortable with it, um, you know, only makes the nation stronger, right? Yeah. So there's more guns out there than the entire military has in, yeah. in you know, residents' hands, right? So, or civilian hands. So I think it's it's important to make sure that, you know, like you said, responsibly. The government doesn't like it because they're in a constant state of power grab. Yep. It's the only, that's the only reality they know. And uh, I tell people all the time, I go, you know, in 1776, actually when the Bill of Rights was actually added to the Constitution, which I would believe was somewhere around 1789. In 1789, you didn't call the police if someone was doing violence. Right. right. There were no police to call. There right. weren't phones. Yep. Uh, in 1789, you didn't need a license to go hunt. Almost everybody went and did some hunting or paid someone to do some hunting for them. Yep. The right to keep and bear arms was not about personal protection, and it wasn't about hunting. The reason, it, and, and, and and I say that because this half the states wouldn't ratify the Constitution. We couldn't get the deal done right? because it didn't guarantee everyone the right to keep and bear arms. Yep. It had nothing to do with hunting and personal protection. That was everyone. Everyone yeah. was connected to hunting in some way or the other in personal protection. Yep. We didn't have huge cattle farms in those days. You know, venison stew was still common in every inn i mean people were hunting yeah mm -hmm. yep 
it was really about oppression. It was really about yep. keeping the government scared. Yep. It's absolutely what it's about. Yep. I talk to people all the time. It's not about that. It's not about your right to carry. It's not about any of those. Yes, you have the right. No problem. It is absolutely about the FBI slumping through your front door. Yeah. I've been watching what's been going on with the FBI in the last year, and I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. Because I used to have this respect for this federal law enforcement body. Yeah. Because I knew people who were in it, and I have no respect for it now. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm so turned off. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right, to see, you know, if you look, you know, back, you know, twenty, thirty years in the government, how, to your point, you know, those kinds of agencies were respected and they were looked at as kind of the the gold standard of how things should be handled. And, you know, as we went through, you know, the various political changes, right, to your point, right, I think no one respects many actually facets of the government, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think, right. you know, the, the addition of, you know, twice as many or double the amount of people in the IRS um, is sending a very clear message, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it's, a, you know, it's, it's how do you get the politicians, hopefully in the next election, uh, to start taking care of the actual people rather than, you know, themselves in their pockets. I'm, uh, I had a run in with the ATF here in the last couple of months. And, um, I got to tell you, they conducted themselves really well. Um, we had a hearing and we didn't get lawyers, you know, Jeff and I just went down and said, Hey, here's what happened. And we're sorry. And we didn't lose track of any firearms, but we bought boff the paperwork and, um, yeah. cause we were doing it all manually Yeah, and you can get some tribal loss of knowledge doing it manually. Mm -hmm. We're now on a digital thing. I don't know if Jeff, maybe had reached out to you guys. Yeah. But he asked us who, who we were using. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you guys use a digital service? We do. Who do you use? Uh, right now we use FFL Boss. We've been using them for since we started. Since we started. Um, and I know you guys are using Fast Fastbook yep. or Fastbound now. Yeah, Fastbound. Yeah, so they're they're reputable as well. So I think, you know, what we did. That's key, though. It is uh -huh. key. Because so it keeps you from screwing stuff up. It does. And, you know, what we've done, too, is we actually pay a third party now to go back and audit us, right, to go back through every single transaction, make sure that we have things right. You know, because, you know, Biden's obviously out to uh, to turn down as many FFLs as he can. Um, so to your point, I think we, you know, our our local FFL guy is amazing. Our ATF guy is amazing, right? He came and helped us, you know, transform our licenses to manufacturers now. And, you know, really, really respectable and nice guy. So I'll, I'll tell you, so the ATF guys came and they were great. It was a train, you know, one Marine and one Air Force guy. And one guy was in training and they, it was a full day surprise audit. And we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and we weren't ready. Uh, and that won't happen again. But, you know, the directive out right now is uh, for certain kinds of violations, automatic revocation. Yeah. So we just figured we were going to lose our FFL and we've got a manufacturer's license and make yeah. stuff. And so we went down. We basically sat there and I said, hey, listen, I, uh, I understand this directive is automatic. Um, before we get going here, is this just is this are you guys just doing this because you have to do a hearing and you're going to revoke our license because if you are can we just not waste each other's time right everyone just fuck off right and they're like no this is an actual hearing we'd like to hear from you it's not automatic it is up to our discretion but it is automatically for review for revocation right i said okay well here's what happened we went through and made the case i said thanks for your time and they thanked us asked us a bunch of cross-examined questions and then about 30 days later we got the review and they said hey uh keep your license and uh we appreciate your corrective action stuff and carry on. That's cool. And I was like, and I, you know, and I was, I was, I had already just said, okay, well, they're going to take our license. Fuck right. those motherfuckers. Right, 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 yeah. 
And and then I said and I sat down and I said and I just oh and I and I remember Jeff was sitting there and he's you know from the financial uh, background and right. so he's definitely not as loose lipped as I am. And I said, well, I hope we can all be good Americans, do the right thing here. And that's what we're kind of counting on you guys to do. Right. So here we go. Yeah. And I, and they did. Yeah. And uh, you know Jeff and I were like, are you kidding? Because you know I mean I've been online and talked some shit. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it was nice that. My, it's the only interaction I've had with the federal government that actually kind of went pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, and I was like, huh, look at that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't in any way curb my opinion they shouldn't exist or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny when they come here for the things. Hey, just you know, before we get started, I don't believe uh, an organization that was founded during prohibition should be here talking to me about guns at this point in my life, but yeah. I know it's the law. So I'm going to do this so I don't go to jail today, but why don't you, you seem like a good American, go get a job with a real company. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's interesting because I'm such an, I'm such an yeah. asshole. I can't even let go. You know, it's, it's ATF really doesn't have any power to make laws. Right. So, you know, it's interesting that they, their recommendations, um, become you know law right, and it's 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 interesting because the, the laws that they're making, they're really coming out of their swim lanes, right? So they were really you know formed to take care of you know large arms dealings and things like that, right? Not get involved with you know braces and triggers and right. you know things like that, right? Mission creep, yeah, mission creep, exactly. Yeah. So they got kind of got out of their swim lane, and you know unfortunately our government has never really put them back in their swim lane, right? So well, do you know why? Uh, you know, I think it's because they don't understand it. Well, I'll tell you what, I got a theory why. And uh, this drives people insane, but uh, Justice Thomas said it recently. It's one of the reasons the Democrats are coming off the rails and they want to see if they can impeach uh, Justice Thomas. I said, well, you can't impeach a guy who's been sitting on the court for 30 years. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. You guys are out of your minds. Yeah. But he said something, and when he said it, um, it scared a bunch of people who are government power grabbers. He said... Roe v. Wade created an instance where the Supreme Court for the very first time legislated with no accountability. Yeah. And that decision toppled dominoes that made rulings in favor of the ATF, the EPA, and all of these three-letter government agencies that boss us around out here in the hinterlands. Yeah. And... Uh, he said we have to go back and revisit the cases that took the precedent of legislation from the from the uh, Supreme Court instead of from the legislature. Yeah. And uh, we've seen this. It's almost a ruling by opinion and fiat of nine people change the whole country and you can't unelect them. Yeah. And then there's this tradition within the court that within the generation or lifetime of the preceding justices, you never review their cases. So it, it makes what they do kind of permanent in their eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's very strange. Um, you know, I don't care about, you know, the Roe v. Wade thing's a whole nother discussion, but it was a discussion where the Supreme Court was not calling balls and strikes like they're supposed to do for our, our legislature. Instead of calling balls and strikes, they got in the game. Right. Right. And they got in the game from then on, it like set the precedent for them being in the game. Yeah. Instead of saying, nope, that's constitutional, can't do that. Yep, that's constitutional, you can do that. That law you passed is constitutional. That law you passed is not constitutional. Right. That's their job. Right. right. That's kind of boring over time because they're the living representatives cloistered away in a building wearing black robes, much like a funeral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. And they are standing over the corpses of the founding fathers and the document they put together that changed the world. 
yeah the constitution right yeah they're supposed to be reaching out they're the living embodiment to reach out from the grave of the founders and yeah. say no you can't do that yeah oh, yep that's okay but yeah. you can't do that yeah and they they broke the rule and when they broke the rule it's unraveled our country f for almost 50 years yeah. and everything that they meddle in comes back to that precedent they set right then and there you know our legislature couldn't put together a, any what do you call it consensus on abortion nationally right okay yep and shouldn't in my opinion that's a state's right. thing but fine but since they couldn't do it 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 cornered the supreme court into doing it and the supreme court instead of saying no 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 we don't legislate from the bench right. give us a law you either have a law or you don't have a law right but we're not going to tell every state how they have to be if you can't pass laws right we're supposed to judge laws right 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 and so it it, it started this precedent for meddling and so now I don't know how it is in South Carolina. I imagine it's similar. Here in Arizona, we have multi-billion dollar mining projects that have been in EPA review for decades. Yeah. They'll never happen. Right. Because there's no way to ever prove the EPA wrong. Right. It's impossible. Right. Because their whole thing is what if. Yeah. Well, okay, we're not in Connecticut. It doesn't rain 27 inches a year. We get a half an inch of rain every two years. Right, right. We can, we can do pit mining here. It's different. And yeah. It's in the middle of nowhere. So we have these mining projects for nickel, chromium, cadmium, things that are in batteries, uh, and we can't we, we can't even get these projects going. And they're like it's like a national security issue that we don't make circuit board minerals. We don't extract them here in the United States. We buy them from China. Yeah. And the so so um I, I I'm I'm just I'm obsessed with all of this and how it all kind of connects together and this crazy overreach of the government. Yeah, and I see it in the ATF. I've seen it with the yeah. FBI now. I I just heard a story of a man who was out in your neck of the woods. He, he and his son had gone to an abortion clinic, and they had prayed with somebody, and a pro-choice person got in their his son's face and was like pushing him, and he yeah. pushed the guy back, and the dude tripped. Well, he immediately sued and said he was assaulted. Yeah. Local police looked at it. State police looked at it. No charges were ever raised. And now the Justice Department and the federal government is involved. And they sent 25 to 30 agents to this guy's house and arrested him. And he and his attorney had volunteered to meet with them right. over the preceding months. Right. There's this m crazy make an example out of you power reach that's going on by the government. Yeah. And it spooks the shit out of me. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, it, it, it got a little scary for all the ATA, you know, all the FFLs that, you know, with the uh, forced reset triggers, right? So, you know, a lot of those were in the wild and sold. And, you know, now the ATF with no. That's the trigger when, when you pull on it, it fires. And when you release, it fires. So that's a, that's binary. a binary. Yeah. So the forced reset trigger is it fires, but you, you have to keep pressure on the trigger. So when the bolt slams home, the trigger resets. So if you keep your finger at the right amount of pressure, it's, it's rapid. Fire. It'll just keep going. Yeah. So. ATF, um, what's interesting is the guy that, that made the triggers um, actually had four previous ATF senior leaders review the trigger, and they said, yeah, it's not a, uh, not a machine gun. And so ATF out of the blue says it's a machine gun. They send us all letters saying, you know, if you have them, you know, we're coming to get them. And, you know, it, it, the, we've actually seen where uh, the ATF went on to gun broker and found who was selling them on gun broker and started seizing the triggers and going to people's houses, right? 
So definitely an overreach. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you look at the NFA, the way it's written, right, you know, you could say that suppressors aren't even a, a firearm, even though they denote them as firearms because they can't launch a, a bullet. This stuff drives me, this drives me bananas because what yeah. happens is we get sucked into having an argument with them that is a nonsensical point. Right. Because my whole thing is, uh, so here's the problem. If you take an AR-15 with one of these triggers in it and you fire it, Anybody looking at it goes, oh, yeah, that's a machine gun. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And even those of us who are kind of go, oh, man, that's that's pretty, uh, that's, that's, who said that's legal? <laughs> but the, I'm such a gangster about it. I'm like, yeah. okay, so what? Right. Dumb rule in the first place. Yeah. When's exactly. the last time? You know, the machine gun thing's a dumb rule. We should be able to have machine guns. Who cares? Yep. Guess what? We have them now. It's just expensive. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, the more the better. What are you talking about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm the other one, I'm like, yeah, who cares if it's a machine gun? Where did you get the right to tell me you can't have a machine gun? Just because yeah. it's precedent. Yeah. I, I don't, I, just because we've been doing it that way doesn't mean it should be. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the percentage of you know crimes that are committed with anything like that, it's it's you can't even measure it because it's it doesn't happen. Right. Well, listen, we, the, the 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 law exists because gangsters were using Thompson submachine guns to blow each other down in restaurants in public streets in yep. America. Right. Yep. Yep. But you know, like, take care of the organized crime. Don't take away the Thompson submachine gun for God's sake. Right. Yeah. It seems like they focus on the. They always focus on the wrong thing. Right. They want to yeah. take. They want to take firearms and, and equipment from people, law-abiding citizens that go and follow the process. But they don't really focus on. You know, the, the criminals are going to get the guns anyway. Right? right. So it's like they focus on that and and keep the rights of the people that are trying to you know do it correctly. It's bizarre. Well, that's the crux of all things. The crux of all things is that laws don't stop people from breaking and doing right. immoral things right well listen pleasure having you guys yeah. here i hope you had fun and uh and and uh it's been nice chatting with you and get to know you a little bit more yeah did you guys did you come to our did you come to blade show were you were you at our dinner i was yeah. i thought so okay yeah yeah um uh well it's fun i you know we try to well i think we're one of the only knife companies that we're one of the only companies i even know that kind of tries to build a little social component yeah, I you know I think you're you're right on right. So I think of of the knife you know brands that we carry, and even when you know, those that we don't that we know the folks, you know Medford, you and and the company have been you know they you guys go out of your way to build that personal relationship with your with your you know people that are buying your knives to resell right. So and I think that's like you said, it's one of the few things that kind of sets you guys apart. And you know you guys uh, you know you were giving a discussion today at a business conference or you will this weekend or wherever you're going to do it yep. talking about how innovation starts with people not with companies yep. and companies revolve around people yep. not the yep. companies correct so we i spent i spent more money than any of the companies you mentioned except maybe benchmade just because of their sheer size but i guarantee goddamn to you per capita i spend more building the relationships and our partnerships yeah. And, uh, you know, when I did my, uh, when I did the t-shirt gate, uh, the Chinese made t-shirt, uh, at blade show this past year, I lost a customer. Um, and, and then I solidified a bunch of relationships. Um, I had one get a little shaky that was kind of big. And then afterwards they kind of me a couple and said, yeah, you're right. You were right. Um, so I know this stuff being edgy the way I am, I, you know, I'm too old, fat, and ugly to go kick down doors and do anything for my country anymore. But I still think telling the truth and 
cloaking everybody with the truth and pissing people off yeah. saying the truth, yeah. I still think it's worth doing. Yeah, we we agree, right? I think, you know, we we take kind of the same stance as you do, right? We're, we're, we're you know, we're honest and transparent with our customers, with our vendors. Uh, and I think that really sets the tone for the relationship because you always know where you stand, right? Instead of trying to, you know, pussyfoot around, you know, shit like that. It's really about here's, here's, here's what we believe. Here's why we believe it. Here's what we do and why. Um, and, you know, to your point, you could either choose to do business with us or you can't. I did, um, I just did some math. I said, okay, there's 330 million people in the United States. 165 million of them are con right side of the spectrum. Yeah. Of that group, about half are dudes. So that's 82 million people. Of that group, about half are in my age engagement zone. That's 40 million people. Yeah. That's plenty of people to do business with. That's okay. It's bigger than most countries. I'm fine. I'll be yeah. all right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think. I, 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 I and that's can't. like 10 guns per person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. So I think, you know, I think what, what, what we focus on with, you know, your brand and, and you is the quality, right? It's, you know, I carry a Medford every day. Um, and I have quite a few of my collections, you know, you know, I buy your, your Damascus knives at Blade Show every year. Right. So, um, that's all I carry. And what I are you carrying today? I can't carry anything cause I flew here. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I wish I could. Um, uh, but you know, typically it's a slim midi or, a or, a Genesis uh, T. Uh, so, you know, for me, it's about the quality of the knife. You put your knife against anyone, you know, most of all the other customers, you know, nice brands that we talk about and it speaks for itself. Right. And I think. You know, when you get on your website and you talk, you, you actually talk about the quality that you expect and, you know, how you build your product and why you build it that way, you know, I think really drives why we, you know, carry your brand, right? It's, it's, we, we like to carry brands that are at the, the upper tier, right? We don't like to carry, you know, the entry level stuff and yeah. we don't carry anything not American made, right? So to your point, you know, I think it's, we need to support local. What do you think about, uh, have you had a chance to check out the American Service Knife yet? Yeah, I have one. I got one at Blade Show. Okay. Um, I like them a lot. I think it's great. Um, <laughs> I was telling Jeff, you know, we need a pocket clip. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love it. You know, we, I, I carry, you know, I carry that in my jean, you know, in my, my coin pocket. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a great knife. The quality's there. Um, I, I like the different configurations where you can take it apart, service it. I think it's good. It's you know, cool. it's funny. Knife guys typically won't carry a Swiss Army knife or that multi-tool style little gentleman's little simple yeah. little pocket throw. Yeah. Most guys who are knife dudes, self-identified knife guys, like if they know the knife steel of their knife, they won't even carry one of those. Yeah. Because they're like... But yeah. everyone's got one. Yeah. But they just don't carry it. Yeah. And I get that. No big deal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and no, no, uh, cast no aspersions on them. What a wonderful company. A bunch of great tools. They've been making for 130 years. Yeah. But they will carry my knife because yeah. they're like, oh, this is made out of S45. This is S35. This yeah. is, you know, this is this metal. And I can maybe personalize it and look at the hardware on it. Yeah. it it's just got, you know, it's a little tank of a knife. It's kind of cool. I carry mine. I never leave. I, it's the most used knife I've ever carried. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, right? Because once you get used to carrying, and I think the reason why they carry yours every day is because they either have a Medford and they know what that quality is on the bigger knives. Right. Um, but I think you, once you start using it and you get used to the tools that are in it and you go to reach for it and you don't have it, it's like, damn, Oh. So, uh, I hear you. Uh, you know, what's funny is, uh, you know, I moved in a new house. I'm not a new house, new to me. I moved into a house about four months ago. So there's all these little projects where I'm like, I'm going to change doorknobs. I want to put bronze doorknobs on. So yeah. you go around, well, 
okay, what do I need to do? All right, I need a Phillips screwdriver. I'll get this. I'll get that. I need some tape. I need this and a little thing to lay my tools on. And I get working, and inevitably there's a sliver or a little chip, and I, and I get to go to get up. I'm like, oh, where's my chisel? Oh, wait a minute. I got my chisel in my pocket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it's not even the nice stuff. I just started actually using the chisel so much because I use a chisel all the time. Yeah. I was taking off some Trump stickers off my truck to refresh them with some... 2024 stickers yeah and i was dicking around and i just cut my finger and i was like oh my god i got a uh, oh i need to go to scraper tool i don't know where my putty knife is and i was like wait a minute i got the scraper tool in my pocket yeah exactly so it's just kind of funny that the tools that i picked that i thought would be most used i used damn things all the damn time yeah no it you're right on and i think it's I think, you know, to your, to, to that point, I think you, when you don't have it, you're like, well, damn. And yeah. then when you do have it, you start using it for everything. I mean, yep. she's got pictures of me. Uh, I mean, I use my knives, right? So uh, my Genesis, I'm cutting out the door catches. You know how you, the door, the plate that yep. holds the door. Yep. I'm, I'm actually, you know, carving one out with my Genesis T. Um, you know, it's, I use them. So I think it's, you know, I think you, it, it, I can't wait to see the additional tools come out. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things being cut out right now. We've been so busy just launching it. The Washington's going to come out uh, before the end of the year, which is model number two. Nice. And then we've got some tweezers and other stuff all kind of coming through in development right now, which are pretty fun. It's yeah. a fun product yeah. to make stuff for. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm, I'm, you know, we're looking forward to Senior Auto. I can't wait to see that thing come out. Did you see it today? I did. It's bitching, huh? It's pretty cool. Uh, that thing... <laughs> Actually, the action's nice on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that that's got so much potential. I'm really excited about that, and it's got the new technology, so yeah. it's pretty neat. It looks awesome. Well, listen, thanks you guys so much for joining us, yeah. uh, folks. You could check out uh, Dean and Jennifer uh, at Hellacious Firearms in South Carolina, and they're down in Lake Wiley. Yeah, uh, like I said, it's a little town about you know nine miles or ten miles south of Charlotte. Well, it's it's right on the lake. Um, it's a really nice area. Uh, and you know we, we we have a lot of good customer following, and like I said, we have a we have people driving two hours to to get Medfords from us. It's great. So here's my challenge to you all, my uh, my uh, my friends, my digital friends out there. Um, go find a liberal. Go find um, one of your friends who's got a liberal wife. I don't even know how that fucking works. And take them out and take them shooting. Cook some food, or or maybe go someplace kind of swanky afterwards to have lunch. You can entice them, like you know, here in Arizona, we might go to the Henry. Say, hey, let's go to uh, let's go to the Henry for lunch, and Gal be like, oh, that sounds lovely, because it is. Uh, but we're gonna go shooting first. And they're like, oh, shooting first. Take them shooting, and then take them someplace nice to eat afterwards. Um, and uh, or or say, look, hey, we're gonna go shooting, and on the way back, we're gonna stop, and you can get your nails done, and I'm gonna read a book in the truck, because they're gonna chip their nails up shooting. And I want you to con. I, you don't have to do anything except have them had a fun experience and start converting them. If every conservative took out one shit brain, batshit crazy, dumb tard liberal and got them shooting so they could drink in a little America, taste some freedom, because freedom is infectious. If you could just infect them with some freedom, um, their sex will be better. They will they will they will have better sex. They will have better kids, they will eat better meals, and they will get out of bed in the morning and breathe in air a little bit differently. That's what I. That's my challenge. You take them shooting. It's a little uh, trigger therapy. That's the show. I'm out. Thanks. <laughs>